Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is December the 10th, 2019, and this is episode 2,563 of the Survival Podcast. Uh, we are in, you know, kind of almost to mid-December, I would say. We're definitely really getting close to the annual shutdown at the end of the year. I've been thinking about that, and I've made a decision about running rewinds, and I am going to do that between, like, Christmas and New Year's. I think I'm going to run, it's not a consecutive week, but it's like five episodes of rewinds, because I'm going to be gone for longer this year than normal, because of the way it worked out with what day Christmas is and, and things like that. So it's going to be a long shutdown. As I come into this time of year, um, I'll, I'll admit that I'm guilty of a little bit of coasting, because I know I'm getting to that point. Uh, and we always have our, our, our fall workshop. That gives me kind of a week with you guys here at my property. Um, and that kind of takes me out of the sink of being on it every day. And then I know I'm going to hit Thanksgiving and then Christmas and New Year's, the holidays, you know. But I try not to coast too much. Uh, I try to make sure I'm still bringing you really good programming. The other thing I do, though, is I try to lighten things a little bit. You know, we could be talking about Donald Trump is going to be impeached on two counts in the House. Like all the idiots are on TV. Um, I'll give you the whole thing in like 10 seconds. So they're going to vote to impeach him. The Senate's going to vote to acquit. And then it's going to go on and doesn't mean nothing. Like I said yesterday, that's it. So you can listen to the TV for hours and hours. They drone on multiple levels of bullshit, and it goes nowhere. Or you can tune in here, and you can hear about something that actually might affect your life. You know, what are we going to talk about today? Um, Tuesday is time for a Just Jack standalone show. And what I've got for you with episode 2563, 30 new plants from Baker Creek to grow in 2020. I promise you... Um, You know, deciding whether you want to grow something like python snake bean or Japanese wing bean or mouse melon or china jade cucumber or, uh, or dwarf tamarillo or something like that. Deciding that in this period of time, like where would I grow it? Do you know when do I need to start the seed? Should I go ahead and order now or wait till next year? Like all of that's way more important than whether or not Donald Trump gets impeached by the House. When it comes to affecting you in your life. And it's kind of a happy subject, and it's something I talk about a lot this time of year. When you get those cold days, you know, you, you, you curl up on the couch, you know, the heck with keto, make yourself a grilled cheese sandwich and a freaking tomato soup like when you were a kid on a really cold day, hang out with the wife and the dogs and the grandkids or whatever, and just let go and enjoy yourself and enjoy kind of that downtime. And reflecting on a seed catalog is a great way to do that. It's one of my like little guilty pleasures to sit back and just page through catalogs and think about the coming spring and what I'm going to grow. And honest to God, it takes me back to being a kid. We didn't have all these different companies back then. My grandfather had two companies he would order seeds from, and only two, Parks and Burpees. And they were kind of different companies back then, too, than they are today. And so that was the only two seed. We got those two seed catalogs and a Farmer's Almanac. 
And as a kid, like I always said, even as a kid, I was like a garden geek, man. I liked it. And on like a winter day, I'd sit in that recliner in their old-ass uh, living room, and I'd page through those catalogs. And when I do that now, I kind of it kind of puts me back in that mode. I was out this morning thinking about how to improve the garden that we're putting in from a standpoint of putting some trellises and stuff in. And I just when I really stood back and I looked at the space, I went, man, this is going to be awesome. The amount of growing that we're going to be able to do. And a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about today is going to get planted into that new space. And I've been reworking the aviary. So this is real down-to-earth, honest-to-God things that make your homestead life better, that help feed your family, the type of things we talk about all the time. But it's kind of a light subject as well, and I think it's a good thing to be doing going into the holiday season. So we'll get to all of that and more in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from a couple of our sponsors of the day. How about Safe Castle Royal, the first, the original survival podcast sponsor, the people that stood up. When I had so few listeners that when I asked to be a sponsor, I told them no. Yeah, I told them no. It's not because I hated money. It's because I like money. I do like money. And the way I felt about it was if I take a sponsor on and charge the money and they don't make any money on me, they're not going to want to stick around. So I told Vic Rontalo over there, look, man, let me get this built to a few thousand people at least. And if you still want to do it then, we'll talk about it then. A few months later, we had done just that, reached out to Vic, That was over 10 years ago, and they've been with us for a decade, a flipping decade supporting this show. They give away their premium membership for life to all members of the MSB, and they have everything for your prepping needs from the practical to the tactical, guns to gardens, and everything in between. You will find it at safecastle.com. Next up, another incredibly loyal sponsor, been with us forever. And, you know, he helps you take care of one of the most important survival needs in your life. Water. Of course, I'm talking about Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason, and his website, Directive21.com. Now, I know there's a lot of places you can get a Berkey or Berkey filters from, but why would you go to anybody but the original Berkey guy who has been supporting this show for a decade as well, who gives you guys absolute first-class customer service and the best price on Berkey gear you're going to find in the country? Check him out today, Jeff, the Berkey guy, Gleason, at Directive21.com, and Jeff does do discounts for MSB members as well, so make sure you check out your MSB on that. Hey, if you're an MSB member, most of our sponsors do discounts, and more than 70 other companies do discounts. It's stuff you're probably going to buy anyway, like seeds, right? So consider going to the MSB and checking out the benefits section whenever you're going to buy anything and see if you can save some money. If you'll do that, I'm going to tell you, that over a year, you'll put more than the 50 bucks a year it costs to be a member back in your pocket, and you support the show. You make a profit, I make a profit, and the vendors get business they wouldn't get otherwise. Win, win, win. Triple win. And that's what MSB is all about. Value for value. All right, guys. With that, let's get into this. I want to start out with a quote of the day. Like I said, I've been really enjoying these quotes of the day. And when I started thinking about gardening... I knew that I had to go to one of our founders for a quote, of course, Thomas Jefferson, who, as much as he is known for you know writing the Declaration of Independence, uh, being the uh, third president of the United States, um, and being quotable for many things regarding liberty, he is also extensively known as a gardener and a farmer and having a love for the concept of small holdings and people being self-sufficient. And feeding themselves. And his vision for this country was 
uh, one of many, many small farms far away from where we are today. And he said of gardening, and this is probably my favorite Jefferson quote, more so than any of the oft-quoted uh, statements of liberty. No occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth, and no culture comparable to that of the garden. I think, to me, part of why I so love gardening is whether it's food, whether it's medicine, whether it's fiber, whether it's herbs, whether it's simply flowers and beauty and attracting wildlife and pollinators, no matter what it is, when we garden, we literally co-create with whatever your view of the creator is when it comes to this world. We take something like a tiny seed and we put it into the earth and we care for it. And while plants are pretty good at propagating themselves, as gardeners, we take plants, like I said you know, earlier this week or last week, we grow them in places they would not grow without us. We manage them, we select them to be more productive to our needs. And we grow them to sizes and into forms that they would not ever achieve without the aid of our minds and our spirits and our hands. That's what gardening is to me. It is the creation, or I should say the co-creation of life, because we don't create life. Only God, however you view God, can create life. But we co-create the form that that life takes and how it sustains others and how it reproduces. And it is, to me, the most empowering thing that we can teach another person how to provide their own food, fiber, medicines from a tiny seed and the soil. No occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth and no culture comparable to that of the garden. Thomas Jefferson. Anyway, with that, let's get into this. Um, again, what I did, this catalog came in, Baker Creek, and I want to kind of point out, like, a lot of this stuff that I'm going to cover today is kind of an exclusive at Baker. A lot of it you can get in a ton of places, from independent sellers on eBay to a lot of other small seed catalogs. There's a bunch of seed catalogs that give you guys discounts in the MSB. Baker Creek is not one of them. I did have Jerry Gettle um, from Baker Creek on the show years ago. We had a great interview, and I emailed him about doing something for MSB, and I got no answer. I may take a run at that again. Um, so my, I guess my bigger point is even if they did, I am a person, I do not have loyalty to any single seed company. I have loyalty to them all if they, quote, unquote, do it right. And what I mean by that is I don't even care that I'm going to spend more in shipping. I spread my seed orders out among multiple suppliers, like Victory Seeds um, and, and Terroir Seeds and you know all the other seed companies that, that help support us. And then seed companies that maybe we don't have deals with. It, it, it doesn't matter to me. I want to support, in some small way, all of them. Because what I've noticed is as you go through all these different seed catalogs, whether they're online or offline catalogs, you find things that a particular provider has that no one else has. 
And that's because all of them are dedicated to preserving all these unique varieties and all this diversity in our seed stocks. And if we lose one of them, we lose those two or three things that only they were providing to us. Or when someone, you know, when this company runs out of something, you don't have this other company to go get that thing. So even though these, and I've got links to every single one of these, and even though every single one of them goes to rareseeds.com, which is the Baker Creek seed site. I'm not saying not to buy them there. I'm just saying when you make your choices about buying seed, try to support, you know, if you're going to buy even six or seven unique things that instead of getting at the store you order, try to support a couple or three small independent companies like Baker Creek. And here's what I know about all of them. They'll all tell you the same thing. When you, I've spoken to enough or, uh, owners of these smaller companies that when you tell them that, they say, great, please keep doing that. Because they know that the bigger the market, the bigger their piece. And the bigger the market and the bigger their piece, the more stability and their ability to continue to provide for us uh, is either maintained or grows. So just think about you know, where you get your stuff. And if something can be got for a dollar less, but you're buying it from Walmart, maybe it's better to support a company that actually shares your values. Just just my thoughts on that. So with that, let's uh, get on into this. Now, a lot of this stuff I've grown, and a lot of this stuff I haven't grown, um, I'm not going to grow 100% of this stuff this year. I'm going to try to grow certain things. Uh, I selected the 30 varieties because I thought they would be interesting. And my hope would be that everybody that listens to this, that likes the garden, might come away with even two or three, maybe five, maybe half a dozen. If you're kind of an eccentric like me, maybe a dozen of them. You're like, I'm going to try that this year. My first one is called Chinese Multicolor Spinach. Here's the thing. It's not really a spinach. It's an amaranth. And we've talked about growing many different types of amaranth. This is a heat and drought tolerant. Um, amaranth with really awesome splashes of colors, like a green and red. It's really popular in Asia. This particular variety is good raw or cooked. It stays tender even when the leaves get rather large. And that is a bit different than a lot of the different amaranths that I grow. I tend to grow a lot of the red varieties of amaranth because they look really cool. And, you know, you can get seed pretty cheap, so you can grow a whole bunch of it. And you pick them when they're really little. You cut the whole plant. They get bigger. Maybe you do some trimming off. Once they're over about a foot, they tend to get a little bit more tough. They call this one a Chinese multicolor spinach because it stays so much more tender and spinach-like, even as it gets bigger. So it might be something for a lot of you guys to uh, to grow that have a hard time growing greens, especially in warmer times of the year. Because it does well even in warmer temperatures, at least according to Baker Creek. Again, I've not grown this one, uh, but it's called Chinese Multicolor Spinach, and it's a variety of amaranth. The next one, I am very excited to give this one a go this year. It's called Chinese Python Snake Bean. It's also known as Snake Gourd. And it's, it's a gourd. It's not a bean, but they grow really long, up to 30 inches or more in length. And they do look a lot like a snake hanging off a trellis. Um, the, the folks at Baker Creek say that they could give a lot of other vegetables up growing them for their own use before they gave this up. It's, it's described as being delicious and it has a flavor that's sort of, sort of bean-like, but supposedly better. Um, it, 
is kind of delicate, so it's not something that ships well, but it does do apparently pretty well at like market gardens and things like that. Uh, when small, it can even be eaten raw, and it supposedly doesn't really get tough or fibrous as it grows larger, though I've watched quite a few videos on YouTube about this particular one because it is exciting to me, and there are multiple varieties of it. Um, and quite a few of the folks in India and China, this is really uh, a very popular uh, item to grow, say that it, do, it does get fibrous as it gets really, really big. Now, here's something that's interesting. If you do let it get fully mature, it starts to turn kind of a reddish brown. And then when you open it up, you can scrape out the seeds and the pulp, and it basically makes something that is very akin to a tomato sauce. So it has multiple uses, and it looks cool as shit. My other thing is, and this is why you'll hear some other gourd options in a little bit, I have had a hell of a time growing squash here. The squash bugs are merciless, as are the vine borers in, in, in Texas. And yet I've been able to grow all different types of gourds. And even though the squash bugs tend to go after the gourd leaf, and they do suck the leaf like they do the... The, uh, the squash leaves, they can't really compete with a gourd's vigor and its ability to grow. One thing about a lot of gourds, um, they tend to be a, a evening and nighttime flower. And that means that their flowers are best pollinated in the evenings. And if you don't have night pollinators, you may not get as much fruit set as you would like. Any squash, gourd, etc., it's really easy to look at the flower, and you can see a male from a female flower. And I don't care if anybody doesn't like their pronouns used that way or whatever. They can get over it. Uh, male and female are real things, and you can definitely tell a female gourd or a female squash because it has a little fruit behind the flower. Well, all you do is pluck off a male flower or two, and then just touch the stamens to the pistils, which means push the flowers together, and manually pollinate. You'll get a much better fruit set that way with uh, gourds, with squash pumpkins, etc. It takes a couple seconds, and the dividends are pretty good, especially on something like a snake gourd, because it's a rather big item. You know, if you do two or three of those, um, and you get two or three more of them, that's a, that's a significant yield. Uh, and you'll notice kind of a theme here as I go through this. A lot of the initial stuff is of Asian, Asian descent, And I think it's just because I went in order of the catalog, and they kind of have them organized that way. Uh, so the next one is called Urizen, or Urizen, U-R-I-Z-U-N, Japanese winged bean. Um, winged bean is incredibly popular in Asia, and more in the, the su southern uh, components of, of the Asian subcontinent, India, southern China, Sri Lanka, Thailand, etc., where they have really long subtropical day climate. And so the issue with a lot of the varieties of winged bean is they're, they're day length sensitive. So they take a really long season to start producing, and then they only produce for a narrow window, which kind of sucks because it's a, a vining plant and fairly large, and it's actually really, really delicious. Um, these things look like kind of three-sided little tufted, almost like hex-like, but they're three sides, like triangular, um, with little wings on them, and they're, they're green. They have a beautiful light blue flower, uh, very, very attractive of pollinators as well. And 
this particular variety is not day length sensitive. So especially if you are anywhere more toward the southern warm climates, this is going to do really good for you. And it's going to start producing a lot earlier than other varieties of a winged bean. And that's one of the things I love about Baker Creek is like when they find something, they try to find, well, what will work best here? Because maybe, you know, they find this stuff in, in, in Southeast Asia. It doesn't really grow really well in Missouri, which is where they're located. So they found this variety. Um, it's really popular as a stir fry vegetable. Um, they're just awesome. Uh, they're not your typical bean. I'm not even sure if they are a true bean. They're a, a, a pod vegetable, I guess is the way to look at them. And again, they're called Urizen Japanese winged bean. Uh, definitely one to look at for this year. Next up, again, kind of sticking with an Asian theme because that's how the catalogs seem to be organized with them front-loaded. Uh, this one I've talked about before. There's a lot of different varieties of it. This is my particular favorite out of all of them, Chinese red noodle bean. Well, these beans will grow, I've seen some of them up to four feet long. They average about 24 to 30 inches. They're about as big around when they're that long as like a number two pencil. And they're red and they have a whole bunch of seed in them. And what, there's a couple things I love about them. One, you know, you go, I don't like to grow so much for trying to stock a freezer or do a ton of canning anymore. I like to grow more of a hunter-gatherer type of garden. I like to go out and have a different something every day and to be able to just walk through and a few of these and a few of those. Well, with these red noodle beans, since they're so long, you, know, you pick three of them. And when you cut them up into you know, kind of like normal bean length, like a half size of a green bean length for a stir-fry, you have a pretty big handful. So, you know, you grab a couple peppers, you grab some of these, and, you know, real quick you've got enough veg to go with your, your protein for the evening. They also look cool as shit because the leaves are green and the pods are red. And I like color on my plate. So you've got that. But the beauty of the red variety of these, the green ones, the color of the pod and the color of the vine and the leaf are so similar a lot of times you don't like you don't see the pods. Where when you go out and you look at these, man, it's really obvious where you've got fruit set. So I like that. They also have a really cool flower. And you know, one long bean will have a couple dozen seeds. Once you buy and start growing these, these are something that like you should never have to buy seed again unless you forget to harvest some or throw it away. And you just let a few pods go really long and get dry. And it's a quick producer to where I've had you know two or three generations of it in a single season because I'll have a pod that gets kind of a little bit too big and starts to get a little fibrous and just let it go until it starts to dry up. And I'll pop the seeds out, throw them right in the ground, and you start growing another vine or two right away. So it's it's fast. Kids like it. It looks cool. If you like beans, you know green beans type of beans, you're gonna like it. I have never had anybody that like said they didn't like it unless they just didn't like beans as a whole. Um, and just real, real great, fast producer with a really cool, unique crop. Next up is referred to as both Chinese kale and Chinese broccoli, but uh, the name of it in China is Yadfa, Y-O-D-F-A-H, Yadfa. And basically it's kind of like a broccolini type thing. It grows 
kind of tall and it gets little flowerets on it and they can be eaten at any stage. They can be eaten when they're closed and tight and then they're like little broccoli heads. Uh, they can be eaten at once they fully flower and they can be eaten before they even set. In fact, there's not a piece of this plant that's not edible. And, I mean, that's true of most of your brassicas. Like, most people don't realize you can eat the leaves of a broccoli plant. Like, that's basically, the leaf of a broccoli is basically kale. But it's closer to a collard to me. It's kind of fibrous. It's kind of tough. It requires a significant amount of cooking, in my opinion anyway, to be palatable. This stuff is just delicious. It's delicious raw. It's delicious steamed. It's delicious stir-fried. And it's really, really easy to grow. It's disease-tolerant. And it grows well in cool climates as well as warm climates. So this is a great early season vegetable, but yet you can grow it into your summers. Uh, where like most of your broccoli and kale and stuff like that just is not happy uh, once your warmer weather comes around. Now it does have it does have some limits to how much heat it can tolerate, but for most of you, you'll be able to grow it through most of the season. And by the time it kind of starts petering out, If you just start some more seed and you know kind of wait till you get on the backside of that summer heat, you can start planting it again. So there's only a very small window where you can't be growing this. Next up today, Chinese pink celery. Chinese celery uh, varieties tend to be more of a cutting celery rather than a bunching celery like we're familiar with in the United States. And they tend to be easier to grow and they tend to be easier to get the seeds to sprout. Uh, I have gotten to the point where I don't even try to grow conventional celery anymore. I go to the store and I buy celery. I buy a bunch of, you know, a bunch, when I say a bunch, I don't mean a lot, a bunch of organic celery. And I pull all the outer stalks on it. And I take the cart and I drop it either into my garden or one of my aquaponic systems, whatever, and it starts growing. And that's how I get my celery. With Chinese celery, it's a lot easier to get your seeds to actually start, and your plants are very, very hardy, and they grow really tall, and they tend to grow thinner, tall stalks with a really kind of an intense celery flavor. And you want to use them as much for their stalks as for their leaves. They're that kind of a vegetable. Well, this is pink. And when I say pink, I mean pink. I mean really bright cool-looking, flipping pink, almost neon pink. And so it is ornamental, and it's edible, and it's cool as shit. So if you are a person that tries to grow some edibles in your front yard, and you like those edibles to look kind of decorative so that you don't piss off blue-haired old ladies that run around in the HOA or something like that, this is a great plant for that. It's it's up there with like your bright colored Swiss chards, except it's a totally different experience from a culinary perspective. And again, it just looks really freaking cool, and it's definitely one of those plants worth adding to what you grow. And it's totally unique, and it's totally different. And one of my rules with plants, guys, is I like to grow things I can't buy. Um, yes, I can buy celery. No, I cannot buy Chinese pink celery. I have never seen it. And I mean, even if I go down to like World Market or something like that, where they have a produce section that's like almost as big as the average grocery store is, just in their produce side, uh, I have all kind. I've never seen it, and so I like to be like, why not grow things that are either really expensive 
or harder impossible to get um, and things you really like. Like, And if you can get all three of those in one, well, then you've got something really cool. So that brings me to my next one. And I have talked about these before. These are known as Mexican sour gherkin cucumbers. They're also affectionately known by many people as mouse melons. These little things look like miniature watermelons. They're about the size of kind of a small grape. They are a member of the cucumber family. They are tiny. Like the, the seeds are tiny. The flowers are tiny. It looks like somebody took a, a cucumber plant and just, you know, when you take a picture and you can resize it on, online by like grabbing the corner and just like scaling it down, it looks like somebody took a full-size cucumber plant and just scaled it down. And I have found them to be way more disease-resistant than most cucumbers to things, you know, the cucumber mosaic virus and stuff like that. I'm not saying they don't get it, but I have, I've had years where I've had really poor cucumber production, but these things are great. They are cucumber-like in taste. I don't know why they call them sour, because I don't find anything about them to be sour. They still have a touch of lemon to them, maybe. They're really crisp, like potato chip level crunch, you know, in a vegetable form. Um, they're really good just salted. I love throwing them in a salad. They're one of the things I like. Like if you make a salad for someone that comes to your house and you kind of want to like take it up a notch, you know, this is the thing that I'll put like a handful of these in a bowl and throw it in the refrigerator because I don't want them to get buried by the salad. So when I make the salad up, I'll tend to take some things like, you know, some red amaranth leaf or during certain parts of the year, nasturtium flowers, nasturtium leaf, uh, violets, things that are unique, a little sprigs of dill. And you kind of, you make your regular salad, and then you kind of put this stuff on the top because it really catches the eye and what pleases the eye tends to please the palate. Well, you know, you put half a dozen of these, almost like they're little eggs on the top of somebody's salad. And they're like, what is that? It's like, just eat it. You'll find, they're like, it's kind of like a cucumber. Right? And it's, I like to infect people. I like to infect people with the gardening virus to where they're like, where do I get these? Well, I'll give you some seeds. You can grow them. Well, where can I buy them? Oh, you can't buy them. I don't know anybody that sells them. Um, and, They're really easy to grow, and they're small. They are kind of a sprawling vine, but they can grow in a pretty small area, so they're great. If you have a container garden-type setup, big pot, and you have like a little trellis in it, they'll just crawl all over it. And they're one of these plants you have to kind of pay attention to them because you'll think there's no fruit on them. And then you got kind of lift it up, and there's tons of them there. And you do want to pick them before they go too far. Another very cool thing to do with these is do a fermented pickle with them. You can do a quick pickle using vinegar and all, but you know, do you know a salt brine pickle with these things, and with garlic. So you do like you know half garlic cloves and half these things, and you got pickled garlic and you got pickled these things, whatever you want to call them. They are flipping amazing. You really want to give those a shot. While we're doing cucumber and we're still kind of Asianish, um, there's a cucumber that. Uh, is new this year to Baker Creek that looks very intriguing to me. It's called China Jade. Um, I have always found your oriental cucumbers to be some of the best you can get, your long, thin cucumbers. In China and other parts of Asia, 
they have a completely different view of the cucumber than we tend to in America. The cucumber is kind of the boring vegetable in America. Everybody grows it, but everybody can grow it. Everybody makes pickles, and everybody can make pickles. And there's a couple, three varieties that people tend to grow. And maybe you do grow some kind of an Asian or Armenian snake melon that's actually a cucumber tasting thing or whatever. And you might find some unique stuff. But basically, no one's like, I'm a cucumber guy. And I grow ten varieties of cucumbers. And I am working on special cucumbers. The cucumber is held in high esteem as a vegetable in China. And they have put probably more work into developing varieties of cucumber than anywhere else in the world. Cucumbers come in all shapes and sizes, and they're not just a salad vegetable or a pickle. They're used in stir-fries. They're actually cooked with, etc. And this China Jade looks like it might be um, one of the best varieties ever developed. It's that classic, long, thin cucumber, but doesn't seem to get quite as big as some of the others. Thin-skinned, and they develop without pollination. They are basically self-fertile, self-pollinating, which means if you're a greenhouse grower or something like that, they're a fantastic market cucumber, and they're definitely, again, one that I'm going to be trying this year. I can't say exactly what they taste like or what have you because I haven't actually tried them yet. Next, I've got two eggplants for you, so I'll combine them. One is called uh, Ping Tung, and the other one is called Nagasaki. These are both... Um, Asian eggplants, so they are your kind of long sausage-shaped eggplant. Uh, the Ping Tung is a pink, pinkish, purpley color, really, really attractive, sweet, tender, really one of the best Chinese eggplants out there. I have um, grown a bunch of different Asian-style eggplants. This one is one of my favorite tasting, and it's called Ping Tung. Uh, Nagasaki is a similar eggplant. They don't get quite as big, but they're a long, you know, sausage-shaped, more pointed eggplant uh, than the the ping tong. Um, these are the only one that I have ever eaten that I actually think that you can eat it raw and it tastes pretty good. Um, eggplant is one of those things a lot of people don't like because. I don't think we understand the diversity of eggplant. There are probably more varieties of eggplant in the world than are tomatoes. And the taste, the flavor, the shape, the texture is all incredibly varied. And a lot of your classic eggplants, your big, giant eggplants, your Italian eggplant, if you want to think of it that way, they need to be salted and they need to have the water drawn off of them, or they have a really kind of almost an ashtray-type taste. So somebody will get a big eggplant, cut it up, and cook it and not know that. And they're like, eggplant sucks. Well, don't blame the cook for the food. Or don't blame the food, blame the cook, I guess is the way to put that. So like Baba Ganoush made out of these larger eggplants, if you don't drain and salt and drain before you make Baba Ganoush, it tastes like an ashtray. If you do that, it tastes really good. Well, a lot of these smaller varieties, not all small varieties, but a lot of these smaller Asian varieties, they don't require that. You just chop them up, throw them on the grill or you know whatever, and they taste fantastic straight away. I actually still think they kind of benefit from the salt treatment because they firm up a little bit. It's more of a texture thing. But this Nagasaki, 
you can chop those things up and throw them in a salad. I mean, they're that sweet and tender. Yeah, Nagasaki long eggplant and ping tongue, uh, both some to consider uh, picking up and adding this year. Next up is, is one called pepino melon. Pepino melon, what I like about these is they're little. So I'm not a huge uh, melon guy. Um, the bigger the melon, the longer it takes to get there, the more susceptible to pests, disease, cracking, etc. These things are anywhere from the size of like a chicken egg to a big goose egg. Really, really flavorful, yellow with purple stripes. Kids like them. Um, I try to not eat a lot of sugar. This is a melon, so it has a significant amount of sugar. So I'd rather have a small melon than a great big giant melon. So when I'm going to have something that has some sugar in it, it's a small amount. Uh, really easy to grow. They have a purple flower that looks a lot like borage. This is basically an ornamental edible. Like this is something to put up a trellis in the front yard. And it looks beautiful, and it produces this really cool edible fruit uh, with not a lot of seeds. It's uh, real popular in Peru, uh, where I believe it's native to, uh, but it's then become very popular in New Zealand and Australia that share similar climates, at least part of their climate. So definitely want to check out. Another tropical, subtropical um, uh, item that's, that's a fruit, but can, can be grown as an, am, uh, an annual. And one that I would very much like to grow here because it's very much like growing a citrus, which is something I just want to do and it's hard. I'm right on that edge of where they get killed. And it's called tamarillo. And tamarillo is easy to grow from seed. Um, it grows into basically a small tree to a shrub. But unless you're at low, like zone 9 and really more 10, it's going to die. So you put all this effort, you get this very short window of fruit production, and then it dies. Well, Baker Creek now has a dwarf tamarillo. Uh, these things are about the size of like a cherry tomato. You can eat the whole thing. They're kind of similar to kumquat. It's like, let's say, if you know what a ground cherry is, like if a ground cherry and a kumquat had a baby, would be a way to look at them. And because it's a dwarf compact plant, this is going to be really easy to start at one or two of these. And you can grow some in the ground and all, but grow one or two of them in a nice big pot. Give it a little support. And just bring it inside on your, your days that freeze. Or put it in a heated greenhouse or whatever. And if it loses some leaves, if it falls back a little bit, whatever. As long as you keep it alive, then the next season... It's going to go gangbusters for you. And for many of you, it'll be the closest thing to an orange that you're going to grow and be able to protect and have very few problems with diseases or anything like that. Just a really awesome way to add some fruit production to your life, even if you don't live in the tropics. This next one I've never grown. I am incredibly excited about it. It's called... Zucca melon, also known as giant gourd. And I'm going to actually just read you the full catalog description of this one because it sold me on it. You can't miss this gourd growing in your garden with a weight of 30 to 100 pounds. These are the largest gourds in the world. 
They're not only big, but they are also very delicious. Pick them young and cook them like zucchini. This was a real showstopper in the 2015 National Heirloom Expo. Everybody wanted to know how we grew this monstrosity. Unbelievably, there is no trade secrets to growing this Whopper. It's extremely easy to grow, thrives with little care, start early, and keep it warm. It requires soil that's 70 to 85 degrees, and it can take from 7 to 48 days to sprout. If you do not have night pollinators, hand pollinate the evening blooms. Like I said, with many gourds, you really want to think about a little bit of hand pollination because it's generally speaking moths that, that do most of your pollinating of night blooming gourds. Um, What I don't know yet, because I haven't done enough research on it, is how big do these get before you can't eat them anymore? Because I like found out this year is that like birdhouse gourds are fantastic. Birdhouse and bottle gourds are fantastic to eat. As long as you pick them really, really little. And they go from being really good to eat to pithy and not good to eat at all. Like, boom, that fast. And they taste very similar to zucchini. Zucchini has been really difficult for me to grow. I either get great big wild zucchini plants that I forget about and go find zucchinis the size of my leg, or the squash bugs kill them. So I have been looking for kind of the go-to to grow as a zucchini substitute, and this looks like the thing. Again, it's called Zucca Melon, Z-U-C-C-A, Zucca Melon, giant gourd, um, definitely one that I'm going to be growing this year, and I'll see how big I can get them. And I also want to see how big do they get before they're no longer um, usable as a uh, as a squash substitute. From the little bit I've seen of them online, my guess is going to be that there's there's going to be kind of a sweet spot. Like, don't get it any bigger than this to get the largest amount of good flesh out of them. And, and honest to God, you know, do you really want something that's 30 pounds that once you cut it, you kind of got to keep going? Uh, with eating it. I, I think you're, we're going to find like where that kind of large zucchini size is, is probably going to be cool. And then you know, let a few get really big and see what happens. But uh, check them out, Zucamel. And again, links to all of this stuff is in the uh, show notes. Next up is a, uh, a bok choy that I really am excited to try this year. It's called Purple Lady. And it is a deep purple leaf green stem bok choy. And really a great bok choy to grow is kind of a a baby bok choy. If you let it fully grow out, they grow about six to seven inches tall. Um, but I, I've seen some being grown in gardens as a baby variety. You know, they they harvest them at about four to five inches, and you know they're just a perfect size for like a stir fry. And you've got that blend of color. And again, one of the things I'm always looking to do is add color uh, in my garden, both for the garden's look itself and for the food. I think again, the more color we put on a plate. Uh, they, they just tend to really make things very appetizing. Again, I, I really like color, so my next one is huge with color. It's a variety of uh, Mizuna known as Beni Hushi, and it is a purple red is the best way I can describe it. Really, really bright purple red. Um, it, it has uh, the same antioxidants that blueberries are famed for. Uh, huge in vitamin C, so it's got that going on for it as well. Tastes amazing. Mizuna is a uh, a mild and kind of compact, thin stem form of a mustard. It's a brassia, like many of the other things we're talking about today. So that means it handles um, cold climates. This is really um, a good early season or late season 
uh, variety, but yet it does well in warm temperatures as well. Again, this will be a lot like uh, Yad Fa, where there's just kind of that really, really hot time of year that it's not going to do well. You know, it'll start to bolt on you or whatever. That's when you just start your next batch of it, and by the time it's grown out to set out size, it's it's ready to go in, and it's going to do really well for you through the rest of the year. Um, again, bright color. Tastes really good. And one of my favorite ways to do Mizuna, and it is, it's really a cool thing. Um, I talked about doing like little bunches of asparagus for Thanksgiving and wrapping them with bacon. Try that with Mizuna. You know, leave a little bit of leaf on it all, but take, you know, four or five stems, wrap that with like a half a piece of bacon, toothpick through it, grill or, or you know, put in a frying pan or whatever, cook till the bacon just starts to crisp. It's pretty freaking fantastic. And with this red color, it's just awesome. Uh, you're going to want to check this out again. It's called Benny, B-E-N-I, Benny Hoshi, H-O-U-S-H-I. Um, really, really cool. Next up, another red. I like lots of reds, right? Um, this is being marketed as dandelion, uh, Italiuco Rosso dandelion. It's not really dandelion. It's very dandelion-like in flavor. It's kind of got that bitter flavor. For those that don't know, yes, you can eat dandelion greens. They're really, really good. Uh, this is a red stem, and it very much looks like a dandelion green. Really great plant to grow for, like, salad mixes and stuff like that, especially if you're like a market gardener. Totally unique, totally different look, a little bite. It's actually a chicory. It's actually a chicory, uh, meaning it's going to grow a deep taproot. You can cut it off, and guess what happens? Little shoots grows back. Now, because it's a chicory, that does mean that in its second season as a biannual, it's going to set up a great big stem and kind of be not really usable after that once it goes into that second year. But if you let that happen, it'll put on a whole bunch of flowers and give you a whole bunch of seed, and you can grow a whole bunch more of it. Uh, and I've never really tried with a chicory, like constantly cutting it, not letting that happen, and making it re-sprout. I don't know how long you can get away with that. I'm going to find out because I'm going to grow this one this year again. It's called Italico Rosso, I-T-A-L-I-K-O, Rosso, R-O-S-S-O, dandelion. But it's really a chicory. And as I've been saying, there's a link to every single one of these in the show notes so you can go look at it. Uh, next one is one I have grown before. And I really like this one just as an ornamental that's also edible. It's called Aurora Mixed Orach. Orach is um, a chinpodium species, goosefoot uh, family. Um, these grow really big leaves, like bigger than your hand, and they grow purple, pink, light green, dark green, kind of motlid, a uh, whole bunch of different colors. Uh, it can be used as a spinach substitute, though orach leaves are a bit thin uh, compared to spinach, very much like an amaranth. These make cool vegetable wraps. You take two or three in different colors, kind of lay them together to compensate for that thinness, but kind of stagger them and do something like um, a sprig of dill and maybe some chive and a couple slivers of uh, like a sweet pepper and roll that up and then maybe wrap it with a chive like that like and do that as like a little side on the salad or something. It's just really cool. Uh, you could do a protein or something with it too, but again, it's a thin leaf, so it's not going to have a lot of backbone to stand up to much of that. Um, but combined with uh, nasturtium leaves, some varieties of nasturtiums 
Again, nasturtiums are a flower. We're actually going to talk about a variety of that you can grow if out of the Baker catalog this year as well. But uh, the flowers are really peppery, and the leaves a little less so. Well, some varieties of nasturtiums, the leaves are, again, bigger than your hand. And they make a really good wrap. So, like, combining these with those nasturtium leaves and then doing, like, I did for my buddy David this spring, while well, the nasturtiums were here, I did sautéed snails, the helix snails that they make escargot with. Uh, they're inexpensive. You can buy them at the grocery store, and they're canned, ready to go. And I sautéed those with butter and garlic and wrapped them with chives in those leaves. These would add another layer of color, texture, taste to something like that, or something like uh, mackerel. The canned mackerel that I recommend, warmed with these, would be great. Just in salads, it uses a spinach substitute, um, braised, sautéed, etc. Lots of different ways to use it. Orach, though, not a lot of pests, really easy to grow, unique, different, etc. Let's talk about kale, right? All the hippies love kale, all the hipsters love kale. Kale is the new superfood, etc. Kale is a great brassy to grow. I want to give you something kind of cool to grow, though, that your kids might enjoy. This is called walking stick kale. Um, this plant uh, was really popular like hundreds of years ago. It was also known as tall jack and Jersey cabbage or cow cabbage. The kale is said to grow as tall as 20 feet in its native range. Uh, their average in their gardens in Missouri where they grow this stuff is about 6 to 12 feet was grown in Europe for centuries, most on the islands of Jersey and the largest of the Channel Islands, where long, sturdy stalks were varnished and turned into canes. The leaves were considered excellent forage from animals, with the little, small, tender ones reserved for people. So it might be a good forage plant. It might just be a cool thing to grow for your kids to get them excited. Um, there's a picture on the website of a guy up on a... You know, a six-foot step ladder. He's at the second to the top, and it's still above his head. Little kids underneath him. It's it's pretty cool, and it's a good to eat kale on top of everything else. Um, now, I got one for you that I'm going to bet is the most likely that the largest number of people in the audience will have never heard before today. Celtus, Celtus, like lettuce, but Celtus. What is it? It's a, it is a variety of lettuce grown for the stem. It grows a big, thick stem with a little bit of leaves coming out of the top of it. And you eat the whole thing, the whole stem. And it was originally from the Mediterranean, and then it became very popular when it uh, ended up in Asia. The particular variety I'm recommending is called Green Mountain Winter Celsius. Uh, it has kind of a blend of like a lettuce, a cucumber, and a sweet corn flavor. And it can be used raw in salads like a lettuce, or it can even be sautéed, stir-fried, etc. It is probably going to be like one of the new up-and-coming, like it'll be at farmer's markets and chefs will be doing stuff with it and things like that. You can start growing it right away. Um in your own backyard this coming year. Next up, um, bitter melon. I've always enjoyed bitter melon. It does have a bitter flavor. That's why they call it that. Um, it is considered one of the longevity vegetables uh, from Okinawa. And there's a variety that you can get from Baker Creek now that is white-skinned, pure white uh, bitter melon. Uh, Junapaku is the uh, name that they're giving it. Uh, extra large, mild Japanese bitter melon, pearly white, mellow flavored fruit is still quite nutritionally potent with more refined, less bitter flavor. Fruit averages between 8 to 10 inches long. 
or thick. The fruit is typically cut thick and added to soups or shaved thin and eaten raw. Um, they're currently out of stock. I have already checked and found that this is one that a lot of um, little small independent sellers are selling varieties of it on eBay. So if you can't get it from Baker Creek, you might want to look there. Um, the, the, the seeds are like a plump red seed. I'm not sure whether they're considered edible or not. Most of the time with bitter melon, uh, I've removed the seeds. I've heard that actually the seeds of this variety are actually kind of sweet. So I don't know if maybe the, the seeds are or the pulp is or exactly what, but um, definitely going to be something I'm going to give a shot this year growing. Uh, okra. I have always loved crimson okras. Red okra is really, really pretty. It's a, it's a, like an ornamental plant and uber productive, highly resistant to disease. Well, there's an Asian variety called Jing Orange. I've never grown it before, but it looks even cooler than the crimson uh, okras. Uh, it's, it's, it's like a pink, orange, mauve cross. Uh, and okra gets these big, beautiful yellow flowers on them. It's originally from Africa. Uh, and then these different varieties were developed around the world. And this particular one was developed in Asia. Six to eight inch pods, um, does well in dry conditions. And again, just a beautiful, you know, ornamental edible. Jing orange okra. Another one you might want to check out. Uh, next up, green beauty pea. Um, I try to grow some peas every year early in the season. It gets too hot here for them to do well year-round. What's attracted me to this is how big these things get. The pods get five to eight inches long, and they are an edible pod pea where they, you know, and generally when you have like uh, an edible pod pea, once they get to a certain size, they get really fibrous and they're not that great to eat, pod and all. Apparently, these are awesome, even when they're grown almost to full size. So, again, it's called Green Beauty. It was bred by a public domain plant breeder, Dr. Alan Kupla. Uh, delicious tender ponds, likely the largest of all edible pod peas. So, that's another one. And then I've got a twofer with you on this one. Um, a new hot pepper that is available, I think, I'm not going to say definitely, but I think exclusively from Baker Creek right now, called Sugar Rush. And these are, they come in a peach color and a red color. And they're supposed to be incredibly sweet. Like, they describe it as almost being saccharine sweet. Like super sugary but yet spicy hot for use in salsas and sauces and stuff like that. By looking at their shape and the kind of their pedigree, what I think you've got here is a mild, um, a milder habanero. They are not mild. I'm not, I'm, I think I came out of the gate wrong with that. They're not as hot as a habanero, but they are kind of in that vein of a habanero. So I would think they would be something that you'd want to use blended with something else. Uh, I don't know which I'm going to grow. I'm probably not because I grow a lot of peppers. I'm probably not going to grow both colors, but I'm kind of leaning toward the red ones. They just kind of look cooler to me. But I like to try different new hot peppers. And uh, the peach reminds me a lot of a detail. Very popular in Florida, but larger and a little bit different of a shape. And I think they're going to be in that habanero realm where you have that really hot paper pepper, but that really great flavor to go along with it. Now, if you're like, you know what, Jack, you can keep your hot peppers. I don't want hot peppers. I don't want to burn my brains out with a pepper. I got one for you that is not hot at all. 
And it's not even a pepper that was like a hot pepper that they bred the heat out of, like a habanada or something like that, or a jalapeno. Um, those things where they've taken a hot pepper and taken away the heat. The thing was never hot, but it just looks like someone's going to burn your skull off. They're called uh, Murasaki purple peppers. And they are a very old heirloom Japanese pepper. They are, you know, long, slender, uh, purple almost black and you look at them and they just look like something that's going to you know like incinerate your face and they're just a really good sweet little bit of a counterbalance to the sweetness uh, of more of like toward a cuban outside uh pepper and they have dark purple flowers dark purple fruit and bright green leaves So they're another one of those things that make a really cool ornamental that also isn't edible. And again, they're called Murasaki. Uh, link in the show notes. Next up, one I've talked about a lot over the years here and there. One of my favorite things to grow, incredibly easy to grow, almost completely pest-free, red Malabar spinach. Now, it's called spinach because that sells it. It's in no way related to the spinach plant. It is a vine that grows in the subtropics as a perennial, short-lived perennial vine. Here we grow them as an annual. They grow very, very quickly. Uh, the leaves can be used like spinach. The stems are edible, and they produce these little berries. And the berries are not good. Some people say they're bland. You can eat them. You can eat it if you want to. I ain't eating them. They don't taste good, and they will stain your mouth purple in a way that an elderberry would only envy its ability to do. But that said, those berries, which are actually coated seeds and they're more seed than they are berry, can be used to make a dye, a red dye, and they are used for that in their native range. What I like about it is this is a great climbing vine for that space where nothing else really will grow. Like when you get the really hot weather and everything's like, oh, I just can't take this anymore. This stuff's like, bring it on, bitch. I mean, really, it's just like, okay, now I'm going to grow faster, which makes it great to plant on trellises that shade your other vegetables late in the day. So a lot of us, you know, we have that nice sunny spot for our garden or whatever, but what we're really looking for, especially in the south, eastern sun, western shade. If you don't have a natural place for that, put in a trellis and be strategic about it and put it where it will shade your garden in the afternoon, you know, based on whatever time you want that to start happening, and put this stuff on it. And like magic, the hotter it gets and the more you need to shade, the faster it will grow. And this is another plant. As long as you save the seed, and I do suggest that you wear gloves or something like that when you pick it, if you're going to pick a lot of it. If you're going to pick a couple, it's not that big a deal. If you pick a lot of it, you're going to have stained hands for days. Um, but if you pick some seed, let it dry out, put it away, it will. you will never need seed again. And you will probably, in most southern climates, find that some seed has fallen somewhere and you didn't think it could make it through the winter, and then in the spring, all of a sudden, it starts growing by itself again. Um, really just a great plant, and not something everybody has. Um, I do find the leaves from red Malabar spinach, like a lot of things that are in that vein, like New Zealand spinach as well, has a um, an okra-like sliminess. Uh, to the texture of it, that if you have maybe 10% of it in a greens mix in a salad is actually really good. But if you were to eat a bowl of it by itself, I don't think you would really enjoy it. 
When you cook with it, much like okra thickens a gumbo, like a couple handfuls of those leaves toward the end of a stir-fry will help thicken your sauce. Uh, nowhere near to the level an okra was. It's not that much of it, but a little bit of it there as it kind of cooks out um, that, that moisture will help thicken a sauce, and it's a good natural thickener. So that's something else that it can do. Uh, next up, we have perpetual spinach. Perpetual spinach is also not a spinach, and it is really a type of Swiss chard. But it is a variety of Swiss chard that has a flavor that's far more like like a Bloomsdale long-standing spinach flavor. Um, leaves are a little bit smaller than a lot of the chard varieties. Uh, and the stems are green instead of like a white or a red or a yellow that most uh, Swiss chard comes with. Um, really long producer. Almost never bolts on you, which means go to seeds in its first year. It's a biannual like most beets and chard. Um, and much better, in my opinion, as a fresh green, something you would eat in a salad raw than compared to a lot of your shards, unless you pick it as a baby, it's really much better kind of sauteed a little bit or whatever. So this is definitely one I'm going to be growing. Spinach, like the time to grow spinach here is now until about March. And then forget it. Just forget it. I mean, it just it, it's too hot. Spinach is a very cold-tolerant green. This stuff, you can grow it year-round, and it is probably one of the best-tasting shards you can grow. Uh, and again, they, they market it as perpetual spinach, and I have a link in the show notes. Next, I wanted to put a, a few things that were a little bit different here to wrap things up with. So there's a mint uh, that I am really excited to grow uh, this year, referred to as hummingbird mint. Uh, mosquito plant or Texas hummingbird mint, and it grows these beautiful little long pink flowers. And it's basically like, as far as the mint side, it's like a sweet mint. And just covered in these light pink flowers. So it's got a great smell. Hummingbirds love it. Pollinators love it. And it's a mint. So it, you, you know, if you can't grow mint, I'm just going to say that you probably can't grow anything. You just, I'm sorry, you need to be able to grow mint to be able to grow anything. And so this is going to be something I'm going to try to figure out, like, a specific container or something so that it doesn't, like, take over. Because mint just keeps spreading by roots and takes over. Uh, but I'm really excited to grow that this year. My wife loves basil. I just loves it on everything, in everything. She just loves the smell of it. Well, I found a variety that Baker Creek has, and some other people have it too, called lettuce leaf basil. And the leaves on this stuff are massive, like the size of a lettuce leaf. Uh, I got a picture of a little girl holding up, you know, about 10 leaves of it on a stick, and it's about as big as her head. To me, this is another real cool opportunity for like a leaf wrap type situation where maybe you do a lettuce um, and an amaranth and this paired together, you know, three of them, and then you do a wrap around some sort of a protein or something like that, uh, just, and that big bang and basil flavor, and it's kind of a crinkly, cool-looking, cool-texture leaf as well, again, lettuce leaf basil. Uh, next up, honeywort. I had never heard of honeywort. This is a flower. It's a member of the borage family. This particular one is called kiwi blue, and It just looks fantastic. Big time uh, attractor for pollinators. 
And it says it's a recently rediscovered ancient flower grown in European gardens since the Middle Ages. Uh, has a cool silvery blue foliage and nodding indigo blooms. A relative of borage, each flower has a drop of honey, which is irresistible to pollinators. Lesser-known foliage plant has recently been embraced by floral designers as a foliage filler. It becomes even deeper blue as the colder weather sets in late in season, and it is marketed as being an edible flower. Now, I've always found that, you know, edible flowers, they're never, like, huge in calories or nutrition or anything like that, but added to meals, they kind of set things off, and and they're just a differentiator. Uh, My last one for you is another edible flower. I love the grown assertions. Uh, They're another plant that they just... Just don't do that well once it gets really hot out. So I grow them. I start them as early as I can. Seeds are cheap. I'll put them out when I'm not even sure that they're going to make it. And if the frost gets them, I just plant more right away. And the leaves and the flowers are both just awesome. Just one of, like, it's one of those things that when spring comes, the fact that I can walk out and eat these peppery leaves and blossoms out of my gardens is just fantastic. They're a thing where I'll, you know, I'll get some amaranth and I'll get some dill and I'll get some chives and I'll get some nasturtium and I just, you know, roll those up like breakfast tacos in the morning and I'll eat four or five of those, you know, for a couple months. And it, I wish I could grow them year round, but I, honestly, it kind of makes it cool that I only have them for a season, you know, the spring season because then you you value them more. Well, I found one I'm definitely going to grow this year. They're called Orchid Cream Nasturtium. And they look like orchids, which is why they call them that. They're like a white and pink and red and yellow. Just awesome looking. I don't know how well they'll do here or anything like that. And I will grow my standard nasturtiums that I've been growing for years. Uh, but definitely something that you might want to look at adding to your garden. So that's it, 30. Count them 30 unique things. And I know that a lot of this stuff that you probably heard me talk about today, you're like, I've grown that before, I've heard of that, or whatever. I'll bet you there ain't a person out there that didn't hear of at least 10 things that you've never even thought about growing before. And again, this is what I like about Baker Creek. To me, Baker Creek, as a company, I I, I respect them as as marketers. That freaking catalog that they will send you for free is like a coffee table photo book. And they also have one called the Whole Seed Catalog, which is like three times as big. That's even better, and it's like ten bucks. It's totally worth buying. And you can get it like Dollar General and Tractor Supply both usually have those. If you don't want to order it through the mail and wait for it when you're at either one of those stores, and there's some other stores, but I know those two definitely tend to carry it. Just check where they have their magazines or their books, and you'll see that they usually have the Whole Seed Catalog from Baker Creek. And what a great way to spend a winter day. And so hopefully you got kind of to do that with me today as we uh, kind of went through these plants, and hopefully you enjoyed today's show. I always worry when I do these shows about tons of plant varieties or something like that, that it's going to tune a lot of people out that are more for the tactical aspects or the nuts and bolts of prepping or the little bit of politics we do or the variety of a feedback or an expert counsel show. But I actually found over the years that going even all the way back to the very first year that I did this in 2008, there's some of the more popular shows. And I think it's because they hit us in one of the more visceral places that you can hit a person, which is their stomach. This is what feeds us. And these unique plants from all over the world and all these different sizes and textures and colors, these are what makes the difference between a garden that's a vibrant 
horticultural experience that you can wander through and pick little bits of this and that versus a garden more like I, I really loved what my grandfather did, but it, it was just a it was just a sustenance garden. There's a row of tomatoes, there's a row of cucumbers, there's a row of potatoes, there's a row, a row of garlic, there's a row of onions, there's a row of beans, there's a row of broccoli, there's a row of cauliflower. I mean, that's that's what my grandfather did. You know, and you went out and you harvested buckets of stuff and brought it in, and my grandmother canned it or flash froze it or whatever. And we do some of that still too, but having all this variety, and what that does for you is as your seasons move, And some of the things start to ebb out because they go to seed, it gets too hot, whatever. There's just something new to take over. And having that variety through the season, it, it goes right back to our quote of the day from Thomas Jefferson. No occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of earth and no culture comparable to that of the garden. Another thing Jefferson said is if every American, and I think this is true today, is it would, would have been... In the, the 1700s when he first said it, if every American would simply sow a thimble food full of lettuce seed every two weeks, we'd go a long way toward feeding ourselves. So what if that thimble full of seed that you plant coming up, you know, this spring or, you know, early spring or even a winter garden included things like Chinese multicolor spinach and python snake bean and Japanese wing bean and Chinese red noodle bean and yad fa, mouse melons and pink celeries and exotic eggplants and pepino melons and tamarillos, zuka melons and bok choy and mizuna, walking stick kale. I mean, celtis and jing orange okra, all these things we talked about today, murazaki, purple peppers, white bitter melons. Like, how much nutrition can we produce for ourselves if we embrace this type of diversity and variety in our gardening? Well, to me, a lot. And I think that's why, over the years, these shows that we've done like this have been so popular. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. With that, we have wrapped up another episode of the Survival Podcast. Remember, if you like the work that we do and you want to help support us, one easy way to do that Online shopping, where, online shopping where? tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com. Go to tspaz.com. Whenever you're going to buy stuff online, as long as you start there, no matter what you buy, you help support us. Today I have for you the Gerber EAB knife. Now, if you've been following me a long time, you know over the years I've been talking about this thing since before there was a T-Spaz. Uh, it's probably one of the earliest products I've ever recommended people add to their everyday carry. The EAB stands for Exchange of Blade. It's a very small, compact um, little razor knife. It uses a standard razor blade for a razor knife. But it's about the size of a, of a money clip. You can carry it as a money clip in your pocket on your cash, or you can clip it to the inside of your pant pocket or what have you. Uh, but it's really, really small. It's not much bigger than the blade itself, but it's safe. Most of the little compact foldable razor knives I've seen, like the blades get loose, they fall out, whatever this is held in by a screw, it's not going to get loose, it's not going to fall out, so it's safe to use. As long as you understand this limits, right? It is a razor knife. I've always recommended the EAB Lite versus the EAB. The only difference is the EAB Lite has some little skeletal cuts in the handle. Why did I recommend the EAB Lite? Because it's cool, because it has skeletal cuts. It's a little knife. I don't, I don't really care. It's always been cheaper by a couple bucks. Well, right now, the standard EAB is on sale for $7.39 a piece versus about 11, almost 12 bucks for the EAB Lite. 
At $739, these things are a deal. I really recommend you get the standard one. If you think it's worth $450 a piece for the one with the little cuts on the handle, go ahead. I guess people think it's like texture or something, a little less likely to slip. It's a small knife. It's very small. You're not really going to be doing any heavy, hardcore bushcrafting or something with this. You know what I use it for, though? All the crap that I don't want to take my really expensive, nice bladed knife and plunge into like tape on boxes and stuff like that, or cutting up boxes. And I know it's always going to be razor sharp because it's a razor blade. It's a little standard uh, screw that goes in there, a straight screwdriver screw. So when that blade gets dull, take the screw out, flip the blade around, put the screw back in, and guess what? You got a sharp blade again. You can do that with a dime if you don't have a screwdriver handy. What I do is I keep a pack of 100 razor blades in my drawer, my kind of my drunk drawer, a little screwdriver sitting there. And I keep a great big vitamin bottle with a snap-on lid right next to it that starts out empty. Why do I do that? Uh, every couple of weeks, you know, I get to the point where the blade is kind of dull and I flipped it once. So I open that drawer to replace the blade. I take the blade out, I open that bottle, and I drop that used blade in there. I put the lid back on. No one's going to get cut because a dull blade is still sharp when it comes to a razor blade. It's not going to be in the garbage. It's not going to, if the dog gets in the garbage, he's not going to get his mouth cut. I'm not going to get cut or my wife's not going to get cut or my grandson's not going to get cut carrying the garbage out to the curb. Garbage man's not going to get cut, etc. When the bottle gets full, I throw the whole bottle away and start with a new bottle. And so that's a good little safety tip. And you can get, you know, 100 blades for 10 bucks. So you can have a new blade every week. For two years, for ten bucks plus seven bucks for the knife, and it's always sharp. I use it to skin squirrels. I use it to skin rabbits. Um, I might use the little EAB knives more than I use my main knife, because I just don't care what happens to the edge, because it's ten seconds to flip the blade around or put a new one in, and I'm back to a razor sharp knife. That helps me preserve my my good knife for the tasks that it's most suited to. Um, it's also just a great piece of EA, uh, everyday carry, and it's one of my favorite gifts because everybody likes it and everybody knows I'm a prepper and everybody thinks your preppers are crazy and you give them one of these and your only condition when you give it away is hey you know what here get some blades for it and just carry it just use it and everybody I've given one to like you'll talk to me and you notice they have it you go, oh you still using it oh I use this all the time and every time they use it they think that crazy prepper's not so crazy is he because now I have this thing that makes my life a little bit better Great stocking stuffer, great you know gift exchange gift, just good to have. I have one in all my my glove boxes. I have one in the glove box of my boat. I have one in my toolbox. I mean, it's just so inexpensive and so useful. It's always good to have around the Gerber EAB or EAB Lite. Again, if you think the little skeleton on the handle's worth, you know, the little skeletal cuts on the handle are worth an extra four fifty. Go ahead. The way I do the math. For the price of two EAB lights right now, you can get three EABs. That's like a free one. Buy two, get one free. So that's the way I would go. That wraps us up, and we got our song of the day today. Um, this week we have songs that are all really rooted in like really laying things bare with passion. Yesterday we had the Rick Springfield song, Three, shot, three Warning Shots to the Head, um, in his response to the potential of the man that murdered John Lennon potentially being paroled, which... Fortunately, didn't happen. Uh, today is a different kind of kind of laid bare. The song's called Pages by Three Doors Down. And it's about, as a songwriter, that you're really exposing your soul when you write. And then when people really 
say they like your music, do they really? Do they really understand it? Do they really see it for what it is? Do they really understand it? And then if they really do look at it, do they find that maybe if they've kind of elevated you as a, as a rock star or something, that you're not as great as they think? It's kind of like that. And I think in all of our lives, we all struggle with how much of ourselves do we really show to others. I've tried to always make this show something that where if you listen to this show over the years and you meet me, there's nothing about me in person that surprises you. That you go, this guy doesn't have an on-air personality and an off-air personality. Now, I'll admit, especially when we talk about politics or certain things, there is some embellishment in some segments once in a while because it's my job to entertain you. And as an educator, if I don't put some fun or energy or, or things like that into what I'm doing, but you spend an hour with me and you'll see all those things laid bare. So instead of being a songwriter that has pages that I pour out these things onto, I'm a podcaster and, and I do the same thing with the words that I give you guys every day. And I've tried to be always honest and authentic. And I think that's what the writer of this song is trying to say in this song, that this is who I am, this is what I'm all about, and it's here for you to see if you really want to see it and you really want to understand it. With that, it's been Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. What happens to a man when he spills his heart on a page and he watches words flow away then his feelings lie on the page Someone who cares to read them To open their eyes to see them To see if they can make his thoughts their own To find out that maybe life's not perfect Maybe it's not worth what he gives away You can see that this broken soul